This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Today, We're going to see another side of God, and we're going to go to John chapter 2 as we look at Jesus. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It was time for Passover. He went up to Jerusalem because that was part of the law of Moses that every male Jew celebrate Passover once a year. And so Jesus was obedient to the law of Moses. He took his disciples, and there were only four of them at this time, early in his ministry, and he goes to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and he goes to the temple, and he's standing in the outer courts of the temple right before you go in, and he turns his head from left to right, and maybe he can't believe what he sees. Maybe he looks at all that stuff and says, is this what worship has come to? And the rage, the rage begins to build in him. Verse 14, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle and sheep and and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging the money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Can you see this? Look at this, verse 16. To those who sold the doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Did you catch that? He just called God his father, see? And that's one reason they killed him later. How dare you turn this place into a market? And that was very early in his ministry. Do you know what? He did the very same thing three years down the road later in his ministry. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Again, Jesus entered the temple area, drove at all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And the benches of those selling doves, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called, my house, he said, my house, Matthew 21, 13. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves or a den of robbers. He was righteously angry. Listen, until Jesus went to the cross and shed blood once for all, animals' blood needed to be shed for sin. Got to know that. See, the price of sin was death, shedding blood. In his great mercy, God the Father gave people a substitute, animal blood instead of your blood. And all those animal sacrifices point to the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord himself, the sacrifice that would put an end to all sacrifices. Listen, God required those sacrifices. Just just read Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 to 5. Guild offerings, trespass offerings, burnt offerings, all kinds of offerings. You bring a lamb or a young calf to the temple, you sacrifice it for your sin, and people came from everywhere, and they couldn't lug these animals of sacrifice from their own flocks. They couldn't do that, so they had to buy these animals. 
And man, they were being ripped off. But that was a matter of conscience. You know what I think was going through Jesus' mind? He said, my father is so merciful to provide a substitute like this. And these Jews or these religious leaders are trashing this whole thing. See, the temple was a place where you sense the awesome holiness of God. You come there for mercy when you deserve wrath. And so he turned the tables over. That's verse 15. He drove out all the men, all the animals. And this is interesting to me. I read this in the MacArthur Study Bible. He said right outside the temple, there was a barracks for Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers didn't storm the temple and say, "Uh uh-oh, we got a loony in there. They didn't do that. It was all controlled. He didn't cause a riot. And his disciples are watching this whole deal. And a Bible passage from the, whole, from the Old Testament pops into their mind. I mean, they're, they're looking at Jesus, going through this whole thing, turning over all the, ta- all the tables and all that stuff. And this is verse 17 of John chapter what, 2. His disciples remembered that, that it is written, and David wrote this, but appointed to the Messiah, zeal for your house will consume me. So now come the Pharisees and the chief priests and all the religious guys, all the religious guys And John calls them the Jews, and they're the ones getting the biggest chunk of the money from these animals of sacrifice. And they say, what right do you have, young man, to come in and just turn and just drive all these guys out? I mean, where do you get that kind of authority? Good question. See, that means Jesus was walking into his own house. He was declaring himself to be the legitimate son of the father. They worship the father. This is God's house. He was claiming to be the son of God, saying, I have the authority on that basis because I am the son of God to do what I'm doing. And for that reason, they ultimately killed him. Oh, that didn't make the Jews feel too good. So they said, give us a sign. Give us a sign that you have such authority. Verse 18, and the Jews demanded of him what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this and jesus said no signs no miraculous signs from heaven no shooting stars no stars falling from the sky i'm not going to wave my hand and give you guys all leprosy nothing like that he said here's the only sign you're going to get destroy this temple and he meant his body destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. That's 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they say, they say, beginning of verse 20, they say, it took King Herod 46 years to build this thing, and you're going to level it and rebuild it in three days? Oh, folks, did you hear this man? He's going to level this whole temple, and he's going to come back and rebuild something that's 46 years to build in three days. Do you believe that stuff? They knew exactly what he meant. Because in John chapter 21, they posted guards. In John chapter 20, they posted guards by the tomb. And they said, this guy said he's going to rise in three days. Don't just accept the part of God you like. Accept our God as the Bible presents him. Let me say that again. Don't accept just the part of God you like. Accept, accept it as the word of God presents him. The Holy Spirit gave us this, the record of this temple cleansing by Jesus for one reason, to reveal all sides of God. Jesus is God. He's a man, but at the same time, he's every bit God. One with the Father, one with the Spirit. And God, God, that's the big deal here, got angry. And he made a whip. He tipped over the tables. 
and Jesus never sinned. Follow this logic. He is God. And he got angry and tipped over the tables. He never sinned. So it was righteous anger. It was anger that wasn't sinful, see? There is such a thing as righteous anger. It's fitting and right to be angry under given circumstances. And that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know what? I like the King James better there. It says, be angry. There's an imperative there. There's a command. Be angry and do not sin, or be angry and sin not. So be angry under certain circumstances. You know, some people excuse their anger and say, I have a short fuse. That's how God made me. You know, that's nuts. You know, God never made you to violate to violate his word. I got to tell you something. I have a hard time talking about anger. I really do because I don't feel that emotion a whole lot. And maybe that's my Achilles heel. I think to myself because I say I'm not susceptible to anger. Well, Peter said to the Lord, I will never deny you. Remember that? And just a little while later, just that same night, he denied him three times. So, so maybe I'm going to go home and bite somebody's head off, huh? Now, just a little caution here, folks, when you say, that's not me. I don't do this. Satan knows that, and that's your weak spot. That's where you're vulnerable. So do this now. Think of an area of weakness, maybe anger. That's an area of sin. And you see other people fall, and you think, that's not me. Now pray that the Father in heaven keep you from falling into that sin. Sinful anger comes from pride. Somebody doesn't agree, agree with you. You get angry. That's sinful anger. People do little irritating things. People say, you keep making decisions for me. Let me make up my own mind, see? And that ticks me off. There's abusive husbands. There's verbally abusive husbands and, and abusive wives. And that's all, that's all unrighteous anger, see? Or basically you want, something, you want something to be the way you think it should be, and it's not happening the way you want it to. And that builds anger in you, see? That's unrighteous anger. Charles Stanley had a month-long sermon series on that one sin of anger. It's from Satan. Destroys relationships. You think people forget what you say in anger, but man, they don't forget. It is etched in here, and it builds walls between people. But here's the big deal. If you know Jesus Christ, and you're his by faith, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit in you works with you. He's not going to do this for you, folks, but the Holy Spirit in you works with you to overcome this sin. I'm looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, and this is verse 7. And Paul's writing to Timothy because Timothy has to deal in, in, the city, church of, in the city of Ephesus with false prophets, and those guys both scare him they also infuriate him. And here's what Paul said to Timothy. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Look at this. For those of you who say, I'm, I, I'm a, I, 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 I can't stop this, this anger or whatever sin. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love. And look at this, self-control or self-discipline. That's what you have. You have the power to speak the truth. You have the power to love really difficult people. That's a trademark of Christian people. And look, you have the power of self-control or the power of self-discipline. See, as a believer, you have that. You have the power of the Spirit in you. 
the power to love, the power of self-control. So you got to be aware of this area of weakness in you, whatever it is. We're talking about anger, but you fill in the blank in your own life. Be aware that Satan knows it and be aware. He, be, he knows that and be aware he's going to play that sucker like the ace of spades. And you need to ask for God's grace right then and there when unrighteous anger is welling up to you. And you can do that. You can do that by his grace or let's throw Romans 5.20 out of the Bible. Because Romans 5.20 says, and this is how you got to think, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Don't give in to this. Know your sins. Know where you're vulnerable. Know where you're most likely to cave. And then you take these deals right to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I, I think I can conquer this stuff, but I can't. I discover I'm helpless, and by the power of your spirit, help me to overcome this anger or whatever grips you. See, there's nothing you can't overcome by the grace of God. you got to think like that. There's nothing. There's nothing you can't overcome by the grace of God. Now, there's also such a thing as righteous anger. In this word of God, Jesus had righteous anger. He was angry at sin. That's what we got to be angry at, sin. He was angry at the greed, everything that drove the chief priests and the merchants uh, to make a mockery of God's house. I mean, that was Jesus' second angriest moment. Let me show you his angriest moment. In Matthew 23, as he deals with hypocritical religion, he's dealing with hypocrisy. Those Pharisees who made these people believe all you got to do is go through the motions of religion. You go to heaven, see? Verse 13, Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. And you yourself don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win one single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Is he angry? Look at verse um, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Man, that is anger number one anger spot for Jesus in the whole Bible, okay? But listen, it was just anger. So when we see sin against a holy God, we have every right to be angry. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and don't sin. I said I don't get angry a whole lot, but I'll tell you what, I feel just anger welling up in me when the name of my God is being misused and people use the name of Jesus or Christ. I get angry. I gotta get angry at stuff like that, see? See, when people diminish my Savior, I mean, that upsets me. And they say, he's just a man. I mean, I mean, he gave me everything. And they diminish him. And they say, just a man. I think of John 1, 1. The word Jesus Christ was with the Father from eternity, man. He was God from eternity. He was uncreated. And he came into his own world. He came into his world to save me. And then they put him on the same level with Muhammad. And Muhammad never did any of that. And that ticks me off. Other ways to salvation. That bothers me. I feel righteous anger welling up in me. False doctrine, the same thing. 
Listen, you have families. You've got your brother Tom, your sister Janine, your mom, your dad. You've got groups at work, people anywhere who are deceived and diminish our God. Listen, folks, I can't walk away from that. Sometimes I want to. You know, I start walking away from something like that. I think to myself, my silence is tacit agreement with their false thinking. And I, I, I can't let that stuff go, see? And see, then what I'm doing is I'm confirming those people and their damnation. Listen, you don't always have to debate people. You don't have to be nasty. Your face doesn't have to be flushed. And I think Jesus' face was flushed when he made that whip. I do. But your righteous dander in here is up, and you know the truth, and you offer that truth. And listen what you do. You know the truth as gently as possible, and you offer that truth, and you plant the seed of truth, and you start the process of change in their minds. First in their mind, then in their heart. But you challenge it. I said I don't get angry all that often, but maybe I do more than I know. I get angry when God's law is violated. Listen, folks, be angry and sin not. We should have righteous anger when God's law is violated. We should challenge the sin in people and let that worm around in their minds. I'm going to tell you a story about that from Scripture in a minute. You've got to look at 1 Corinthians 13, too, because this comes down home to us. 1 Corinthians 13. This is Paul's chapter on love that so many of us know. Love is patient, love is kind. Love isn't envious, love isn't proud, love isn't rude. But you've got to check out verse 6. This is an aspect of love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What's that saying? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Come on, you've got, you got someone you say you love. Husband, wife, child, mom, dad. And they're not walking in step with the truth. Why are you walking around saying, oh, honey, I love you so much? You ought to be saying, get off your dead butt and get in step with the word of God. That's what you need to be doing. That's what this word of God says. You cannot rejoice. The word of God says, if you love this person and they're walking out of step with the word of God, you can't delight, you can't rejoice in that relationship. But when they give up the sin and then when they get in step with the word of God, you know what you can do? You can party, man. And say, we're going to party because my loved one is walking in step one again with this. Because you address the issue in love. Trusting God's promise that his word, his word as you spoke it, will not return unto him void. So Isaiah 55, man, you've got to rest on that promise, see? Folks, you have to address these issues. It's an act of love. Of course, you have to pick the right time. You've got to approach it with the right tone of voice. It's got to be done in love. But when you address the issue, you bless these people. Now, here's a principle to follow. Let's say you're dealing with someone who hasn't received Christ yet, and they're walking out of step with the Word of God. Then forget talking about the love of God. Don't walk up to these people and say, oh, God loves you so much. Forget talking about the love of God. Everybody talks about the love of God. People need to know that God is holy, and people need to know that sin is such an offense to God and he's got to be just, and he's got to separate himself from sin. And that's got to come before the gospel. The law has to come before God loves you. Or they're not going to feel any need. They're not going to feel any need for the gospel. I remember my mom one time. She went to Bethany Lutheran Church all her life, and for the first time in her life, she didn't go to church for two weeks. And I said, what gives? And she says, she calls me Denny, and she says, Denny, she says, all I ever hear 
is Jesus died for you and Jesus loves you and I don't hear about my sin. See, people have to hear about their need for a Savior. There's got to be conviction of sin. They have to know their need for a Savior before the gospel can be really sweet to these people. You have to address it, man. Law before gospel. You're walking out of the will of God. And you know what? They're going to turn away from you. But man, they're going to start thinking about stuff like that. I mean, to an unbeliever, there's got to be law before gospel. The purpose of the law is to get people to cry out, what can I do? Where can I turn until they realize the only hope they have is Jesus Christ? You just can't gloss over sin. I look at John chapter 4. Jesus meets this woman at a well, okay, and she's not saved. And she's touched. She's really moved that he, a Jew, would even talk to her, a Samaritan. And they're talking about living water. Well, they're talking about water. That's what they're talking about. And Jesus said, you know what? I can give you water like you never dreamed of. I can give you living water. And then he said, go call your husband. And she said, well, I'm not married. And he said, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're married to now is not your husband. And it's very interesting to me. At that, he dropped it. He dropped it right there. He didn't pursue this. He didn't condemn this girl. He just said, you've had five husbands. The guy you're with right now isn't your husband. And um, man, that wormed around in her mind, I'll tell you. But it was law before gospel. He was gentle. He was considerate. But she thought about that. He didn't have to say another word. And then I'll tell you what, after the Holy Spirit took that word of God and started working that in her heart, I'll tell you what, then she was crying out for living water. But the gospel is empty words without the law. So don't rejoice if the one you love is out of step with the word of God. Don't gloss over that sin. Which leads me to this. The title of this message is all of God. As you grow in understanding of God's word, you accept all of God. See, because most people believe God is love. Now, folks, Jesus is God. And I look at John chapter 2. And I look at verse 15, so he made a whip of cords and drove them all out from the temple area. And he said, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market, see? And when you see Jesus, you see God the Father. He reveals God the Father. Now, folks, I believe we have to emphasize the cross and Jesus bearing our sins that God the Father laid on him. And I've got to tell you this. I'll take that a step further, too. That's the gospel. And only the gospel will transform you give them the law, the law will convict them, the law, the Spirit will use that word of God. He'll use the law. They, they, they'll cry out for some, for a Savior. They'll, they say, okay, well, what can I do with all this sin? Where can I take it? And then the gospel, the love of Christ is what transforms them, not the law. But we have to deal with this side of God too. He's holy. He's without sin. He's hating sin. He hates sin. He's just. He's got to punish sin or he wouldn't be just and he wouldn't be God. And he, and he did that. He punished sin right there in my Savior, my Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, he did punish sin. He was just. I mean, look at the shoulders up there, man. He sees all that sin on his shoulder, in his body. He's dying a horrible death. So the Father did punish sin in Jesus Christ. If you trust Christ for salvation, what did he save you from? He saved you from the wrath of God. This is something you've got to remember. What did Jesus Christ save you from? He saved you from the just wrath of God the Father at the judgment. 
And I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm looking at verse 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from what? The coming wrath. What did Jesus save you from? The wrath of God. I don't even want to go to Revelation 12, 6, 15, but let me read this. The kings of the earth, the princes, generals, rich, mighty, every slave, free man, hidden caves. They hidden caves among the rocks. They called to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Well, I'm going to tell you who can stand. You've got to go back to the Passover. The Lord sends his angel, his death angel, to take the life of every firstborn male in Egypt. And God tells Moses, tell the Jews to kill a perfect lamb, which points to the perfect lamb of God Christ, and drain its blood into a bucket and take a hyssop branch, and then you take that hyssop branch and you put it on the sides of the door and over the top, they call it the lentil of the door, and then when the angel of death passes over to take the firstborn male, he's going to see the blood on the doorpost and on the lentil, and he's going to pass over that house. And so they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They come under the blood, and unless you're protected or covered or come under the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, what do you get? His full wrath. His full wrath. And you come under the blood of Christ by placing your faith in Him. You come under the blood or bear the wrath of God. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.